Happy Father's Day to all of our fathers. We're going to be turning in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 22. If you want to turn there, grab one out of the front pew or you can flip your bulletin over and we'll have the central verse on the back there. You may have heard a story about a guy who fell off a cliff, but as he was falling off the cliff, he managed to grab a tree branch on the way down and he's holding on for dear life. He's He's looking down, he's got 100 feet underneath him, and he starts crying out for help, help, and he doesn't hear anybody answering him. And as he's hanging there, he, he suddenly crosses his mind that maybe he should ask God. So he starts crying out to God, 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 can you help me? Can you help me? I'm about to die. God, can you help me? And God answered immediately, said, yep, I can save you. And the man said, oh, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Please, please save me. How, do, how are you going to save me? God said, just let go. The guy looked up and he looked down at how far he had to go, looked back up and said, is there anybody else up there? <laughs> we could, we're kind of like that man sometimes, aren't we? We want God to help us, but we don't always specifically do what he wants us to do. Specifically, we're not always interested in letting go of those things that we think are holding us up. One of the toughest things in my life that I have learned is learning to release my grip on things that I have no control over and give them up to God. We all kind of know that God is going to provide for us, but we're not really always sure that he's going to come through in the way that we think that he should come through. So we hold on just like this man and wonder, is there anybody else up there? Today we're going to look at the name of God that says he is our provider. Within the Hebrew language, that would be Yahweh Yara, or some people know it as Jehovah Jireh. And I time this message today to coincide with Father's Day, because our God is a good God. He is a good father and he loves to provide for his people. In fact, when people think about fathers, that's one of the first things that comes to mind in their, as they think about fathers is that they are providers. And within families that typically follow a biblical model, fathers are the ones who generally work to provide food and clothing and housing and, and all those other things that we enjoy in life. Not that women can't do it, but typically the men are the ones who make the most money and provide for their families in that way. Fathers are also supposed to provide security, not just physical security, although that's important, not just financial security and going out and working a job, but spiritual security. They are supposed to be men that pray and guard their family against anything from the outside that will harm them. A godly father knows that he is responsible before God to model Jesus before his wife his children, and then someday hopefully present all of them to God. Today on Father's Day, we're going to look at such a man. Abraham was not a perfect man by any stretch. He stumbled a lot. He fell short a lot with God in his walk with him. He constantly tried to take matters into his own hands and fix a situation that he should have just let God control. But Abraham, in the end, trusted in a father that would never give up on him. And he kept getting back up after he stumbled and following God. On your way to turning to Genesis 22, I just want to review some of the background to today's scriptural account. Abram 
Abraham's name before he was called of God, when he was 75 years old, was called from an area in Iraq to come toward Canaan, or, or that later became Israel. In Genesis 12, he's told to leave what he has always known and live in a land that God would later show him. God then promised him that the entire world would be blessed through the offspring that he would have, even though he's 75 years old at the time, 85 when he, when he gave him this promise, even though he's old, he's childless, that God was going to give him a son that was going to bless the entire world. But as time passed, when Sarah was still not pregnant, Abram and Sarai took things into their own hands and fathered a child by his wife's servant. And finally, after years of waiting, the son of promise was born to him. When he and Sarah got the news, they both started laughing. So God gave the boy's name Isaac, which means laughter. Abraham's name, or Abram's name was then changed to Abraham, which means father of a multitude of nations. And now the promises of God could be fulfilled through this son Isaac. But God still had some things that he wanted to teach Abraham. The hand of God was still molding him and shaping him. Even though Abraham was over 100 years old right now, God was not finished with him yet. And with all, within all of Scripture, this story that we are about to read, this historical account, is some of the most emotionally moving narratives in all of Scripture. I consider it the most moving, only second to Jesus' passion in the garden and his crucifixion and depth and death. In the beginning of chapter 22, God tells Abraham to take Isaac, his son, his only son, the son of the promise, and sacrifice him as a burnt offering. Think about that for a moment. Stop and think of what God is asking his servant to do here. Just close your eyes for a second and think of a name of one of your children. Or if you have no children, think of a cherished loved one, the person you love the most in the world, and put their name in Isaac's place and you in Abraham's. God is telling you to offer that person as a burnt offering. Does the weight of what God is asking Abraham begin to sink in now? Think about that for a moment. When we start to read in Genesis 22, starting in verse 6. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place that God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. 
Abraham looked up, and in their thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, The Lord Will Provide. And to this day it is said, On the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Let us pray. Father God, we just ask for your help this morning in understanding this portion of Scripture of understanding a God that loves us so much yet sometimes asks us to do things that are so incredible, so hard, so, so impossible in our own minds. But you will always provide a way for us to do it. Help us to understand the way that you mold us. Help us to understand the way that you shape us. And help us to understand your sovereignty in our lives that said, I am going to create within you such a vessel of beauty that if you only allow me access to your heart, I can make you into a beautiful example of the love of Jesus Christ. Help us to yield to that this morning, Father, as we study your word. And we ask this in your name. Amen. As we read here in the scriptures, God is our provider. And we want to look at some of the ways that he provides for us through this historical account we just read. One of the ways he provides for us is through the provision of testing. This whole scriptural account is very hard for us to grasp and accept, isn't it? When I had you pause a few moments ago and put somebody that you love in Isaac's spot, you, immediately you're like, that has to be crazy. I must have ate some bad pepperoni because that's not God talking to me at all. It's one of those scriptures that raises more questions and answers in our mind. And probably the biggest and most obvious question is how does a holy God, a God who claims that he loves us so much, would ask his servant to do such a horrible thing? How do, we, how do we bind the God of love together with a God who would tell us to sacrifice our only son? And it's a difficult thing for us to accept. But God tests every one of us like he did Abraham there. Maybe to not this, maybe to not this extreme, but he tests each one of us regularly. And we fight this idea of, of testing because we don't have this appreciation of God being our King and our Lord. We sometimes only look upon him as our Savior and as a person who loves, but we don't understand he is a sovereign King who is to be resting on the throne of our hearts. God is also our Father. And one of the things that fathers do is raise children. If you're a father here, you routinely test your children the same way that God did with Abraham here. And the Hebrew word for testing here is nasah. It means to prove. An illustration of what the, the proof is here is something you can see through Underwriter's Laboratory. You ever pick up something and you see the UL sticker on the bottom? Usually silver. It's something that has been tested by Underwriter's Laboratory. And what they do is they take a product and they send it through this extensive uh, period of research and development. They test it and test it and test it. They make sure it's safe. They make sure it works as it's supposed to. And then they send it off to Underwriter's Laboratory, who takes it, rips it apart, looks at it, tests it, tests it, tests it, make sure it's not going to cause fire, make sure it's going to work properly. And after it goes through all this proving time, it finally gets the mark of Underwriter's Laboratory and stamps it approved. 
that we guarantee that this thing is going to work and that it is safe and reliable. See, that's exactly what God's provision of testing is all about. It's proving that you are reliable, that you're not going to have some catastrophic failure in the future that is going to make his kingdom look bad. And it's not, it's not that he needs to know this. He already knows what's going to happen. He already knows what is going to trip you up. He already knows those points that you're going to stumble by. It's to prove it to you. It's to prove it to the people around you. Yahweh Yaira is providing that provision of testing so that you know you can handle that, those kind of situations. You see, you need to see through this provision of testing who you really are. I remember when Haley was five years old, I picked her up at my mom's house. My mom had, had been watching her for us while I worked, and Tammy worked, and she came running out to me, and she ran around the, the side of the car and opened the car door and got into the driver's seat and boldly announced that, Daddy, I'm going to drive us home. So I said, okay. And I got, into the driver, I got into the passenger seat and I handed her the keys. I said, okay, you can drive us home. And she looked, and my keys at that time, because I worked, I was in the military, so I had a whole bunch of military keys. I worked at ambulance stations, so I had like six different station keys, keys that opened up different doors, keys that opened up narcotics cabinets. I had probably 50 keys on my key ring. And so she's picking through the keys and going, well, Daddy, which one starts the car? And I said, well, if you're going to learn to drive a car, you got to know which key works. And so she started sticking some things in there, and I was afraid she was going to break the key. So I took it out, and I said, okay, honey, this is the one that starts the key. So she sticks the key in the ignition and didn't turn it on, just sticks it in the ignition, and she jumped up, standing up on the seat, and she's going like this on the wheel. And she looked at me and said, Daddy, how come we're not moving? How come we're not going home? I said... Well, because you're not driving the car, you don't even have it on. And she's, she's like, well, Daddy, this is what you do. You put the key there, and you pull, go like this, and the car goes. You see, from her perspective, that's what it shows, or what it took to drive the car. You stick the key in, and you turn the wheel back and forth, and the car moved. That's a child's perspective on doing something that is an adult task. But sometimes that child needs to be shown that their perspective on things are incomplete. You see, God's testing shows us who we really are. It pulls back that, that veil of, of blindness that we have to the different areas in our own lives that don't match up to his ideals and his righteousness. And too often we are like Haley. We, have this, we think we have this good grasp on how to run our lives of who we are. And because of this small view, we follow what we have already always known. And we end up with results that are always less than perfect, don't we? As a good father who wants to provide for us, God always wants us to see who we really are. Because if we see us ourselves for who we really are, no matter how old we are, no matter how experienced we are, at our best, we're small children groping around in the dark about life. And as we see ourselves for who we are, we learn to trust him and his ways more and more. That's a good father. 
That's a providing father. That's a father who loves us so much that he's not willing to allow us to languish in the cellar of mediocrity, but he wants us to raise us up and put armor on us, put a sword in our hand so that we can fight the battles that need to be fought in these, in these days. And that's why testing shows the providing nature of our Father. This isn't some cruel test of God. You know, so many people think that they're going through a time of testing that God is somehow mad at them. He's not some Machiavellian tyrant sitting on a throne, twisting his evil mustache and going, <laughs> let me see how I can mess with this person today. He is a God that is trying to mold and shape the heart of Jesus Christ into us so that we can walk into greater victory in our lives. And we need to trust him with his provision. Proverbs 3 says this, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not to thine own understanding. And in all thy ways acknowledge him, and he will direct thy paths. Will you learn to trust your father, Yahweh Yaira, today? After the provision of testing, there is also the provision of preparation. God never throws a person into a situation he has not prepared them for. That is not to say that he won't throw you in a situation that you feel unprepared for. No, you're always going to feel overwhelmed and inadequate. But that is to show you to lean on Jehovah Jireh or Yahweh Jireh, the God who provides. I remember I was 18 years old. I rode the bus from Atlanta Airport over to Fort Benning, Georgia, to the reception station for the U.S. Army. There was about 50 of us on the bus, all crammed in there with all of our stuff. We pulled up, and we see just this line of brown hats just waiting for us. Immediately, five of them jump on and start screaming stuff at us. Some of us were telling us to get off the bus. Some of us were telling us to shut up and sit down. Some of us were saying, stay right there. Some of them were just yelling things. I think they were Pentecostal because they were speaking in tongues. They were just yelling gibberish. And it was my first moment of basic training and what it was going to be like, just having guys just screaming at you all the time. Finally, we got off the bus. We got into this kind of very sloppy formation. And suddenly, this shouting stopped. And we all kind of noticed out of the corner of our eye this gentleman walking across the, the, yard, the courtyard there, and he was in full dress uniform, medals, just tons of medals on his uniform, hashes up each arm, designating that, um, the different things. And he walked up, and he sat there in front of us, and he just began to quietly address us. I had no idea what any of those medals meant. But he began to tell us over that the next 14 weeks we're going to be taking, being taken from civilians and transferred into, transformed into U.S. Army soldiers. But in order to earn that honor, he said, you're going to have to go through me. He asked one of the drill sergeants to come up and explain what the stripes on his, uni on his uniform sleeves meant. Stripes on the left side that were all the way up to here designated that he had spent over 30 years in the army. Stripes on this side show that he had spent over three years in combat situations. The medals on his chest were three silver stars with V's for valor, five brown stars with V's for valor, six purple hearts underneath a combat infantryman's badge, a master combat infantryman's badge.
He was an expert in six different weapons. The first sergeant then removed his coat and handed it to a drill sergeant. He showed us the burn scars from Vietnam of the napalm when it had fallen too close to him. He showed us his other arm. He rolled up his sleeve and showed us a large knife wound and bullet wound in that shoulder that showed just one of his purple hearts. And he put his coat back on and asked a question. Recruits, do you still want to be a United States Army soldier? Because if you don't think you're going to be able to hack it, get back on that bus. It was dead silence, and nobody can meet his eyes. The first sergeant said quietly, well, we're going to find out because you're going to have to get through my drill sergeants and me to find out if you have what it takes to earn that title, United States Army soldier. You see, the provision of God's testing does exactly what those sergeants did for us. Because we have to make it through that time of testing so that we can survive in the brutal environment of war. God does something very similar. Throughout our lives, he puts us through a process of trusting in him so that we can stand in this spiritual adversity that we now stand in, this conflict, this war against an enemy that hates us worse than any ISIS terrorist will ever hate us. And that introduces us to our next point, and that is the provision proven. One of the resources I've read on the names of God says this about what Abraham was going through at this point. It's from Kem Hampel's book, The Names of God. This was Abraham's opportunity to demonstrate whether he loved the Lord with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his mind, and with all of his strength. I want you to notice that God gives Abraham no explanation. Just the expectation that Abraham would obey this staggering command. Sometimes we are not given the reasons either because God just wants us to faithfully follow him. This was costly to Abraham and it was confusing to him also because Isaac was the crucial foundation stone for the fulfillment of the promise that Abraham would become the father of many nations. Think about this for a moment. Abraham's whole life led him to this moment in time. His son sitting on a pile of rock on top of wood, his hand raised over his son. But look what led him to this. He obeyed where his father stopped in coming into the land of Canaan. He learned to see God as his provider and giving a tenth of his riches to Melchizedek. He believed God when a seemingly impossible promise of becoming the father of many nations was given to him. Even in his failures, he learned to see God's provision. He, he failed in lying to protect himself. That led him to see areas of his life that he needed to surrender to God. Because of this molding process, God used Abraham to have the ability to see himself for who he really was. And that developed within him a spirit and a heart that was able to see the citizens of Sodom and Gomorrah, not as some wretched people that needed to be destroyed, but sinners who needed to be prayed for, who needed to be interceded for. Abraham begged God to spare a city that, or two cities that had wanted nothing to do with God. This process molded him to rescue a nephew 
who basically threw him out in the desert and took all the good land for himself. That kind of molding and shaping provided for his son Ishmael, even as that boy served as a constant reminder of his failing to wait on God's promise. All of that was preparation to get this impossible order from God. In order to take what was most precious to Abraham, the son that was provide heirs greater than the number of the stars in the sky, a son that would provide a direct link ancestrally from Adam to the Savior so as to fulfill prophecy. All of salvation history, Abraham knows this, all of salvation history depends on Isaac's living. But Abraham proved himself faithful. And the rest is history. Finally, I want to show you today that God provides a provision that shows prophetically into the future. I want to close today by considering all the prophetic vision that is showing us in this, his, in this story that will be seen later in the Gospels. Isaac carried wood on his back. Jesus bore the weight of the cross as he walked through the streets of Jerusalem up to a hill that they called Calvary. Both Isaac and Jesus were obedient even unto death and submitted to the will of their fathers. Both Isaac and Jesus were bound in preparation for death. Isaac, Abraham and Isaac are on Mount Moriah here, where the temple would be eventually built hundreds of years later. The very place where the blood of the ram soaked into the wood was where countless offerings of blood sacrifices were presented in the temple. And are you ready for this? Scholars tell us that Mount Moriah is another name for Calvary. The very place where Jesus gave his life for our sins on a blood-stained wooden cross. Abraham and Isaac traveled three days to a mountain where Isaac's life was eventually spared. Jesus was buried for three days before coming back to life. In Abraham's mind, Isaac had been dead those three days. Isaac got to learn about substitutionary sacrifice when the lamb was killed in his place. Likewise, Jesus is the perfect lamb of God who gave his life for us in our place. Isn't Yahweh Yaira, the God who provides, just awesome? Isn't he just awesome? Through one man's obedience and giving up what was most precious to him, we have this incredible prophetic view of our Lord's own substitutionary sacrifice for us. In closing, God's name of Yahweh Yaira shows us that he is our provider. God's provision is always nearby. Just as the ram was in the thicket, close enough for Abraham to see, his provision for you is right in front of you. All you need to do is quiet yourself enough to see it, be bold enough to accept it, and live in it according to his plan and his purposes for your life.